So I want to continue with right speech or wise speech. I think wise speech conveys more of the the spirit of uh, this exploration. And it's this marvelous topic of working with speech and communication that when we are able to make that part of our spiritual practice, make it continuous with our meditation practice, we all of a sudden have the chance to practice eight or 10 or 15 hours a day. (laughs) You know, many people complain, oh, I can only meditate 15 minutes a day, half an hour a day. How much of the day are you talking? And even when you're not talking outwardly, (laughs) how much of the time are you talking to yourself? So, because uh, right speech or right communication or wise speech really can apply to our talking to ourselves. Therefore, all of a sudden, people thought, oh, I have so little time for meditation, I love it, but, you know, I have to work and, you know, sometimes I just like to relax and, you know, space out a little bit, but um, there's tremendous time for Uh, for speech. And in that context, it's actually this really crucial part of our practice for people who are living in the world. You know, we can sit here and say, oh, well, when am I going to do my next long retreat? You know, when am I going to do a retreat? When am I going to have time for that? But if if we shift perspectives a little bit, and I think it really does need support to take uh, our speech and our communication as our practice, when we can do that more and more, then all of a sudden we have a lot of time for practice and we can really uh, develop. And it's that quality that when uh, more and more of our everyday lives become times for our practice, then our practice can accelerate. And I'll talk later about some ways to uh, help that. So uh, what I want to do today is go further from where I was last time. I want to, in the first part, I want to give, really give three parts today. The first part will be um, a review of the foundations that I explored last time. The foundations of the teachings of the Buddha on right speech or wise speech. And then secondly, I want to focus on using speech in difficult conditions. Or using using speech when our buttons are pushed. Okay? That's the second theme. And then the the third part, I want to actually do a practice together. I want to have us work in dyads and do some right speech practice, which uh, I think is good because it can get us into the experience of maybe shifting how we talk a little bit in a way that can uh, transfer into daily life. I want to do that, and then we'll have time to uh, talk about all of this. So that's my, that's my um, outline for, for today. So, last time I talked about four themes that are central in the teachings of the Buddha uh, when he talks about uh, speech and communication. And they're, they're, they occur very often in the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, 
one place that one place they appear is in this quotation from the uh, from the Majjhima Nikaya. Uh, the Buddha says, "How does an untrue person speak as an untrue person?" And he's going to focus on speech here. An untrue person speaks false speech, malicious speech, harsh speech, and gossip. And how does a true person speak as a true person? A true person abstains from false speech, from malicious speech, from harsh speech, and from gossip. And so those four aspects, what the Buddha calls... uh, false speech and its uh, opposite true speech, uh, malicious speech, uh, harsh speech and gossip, I reframed somewhat. And I think, I think I'm keeping the essence of these uh, discussions as first, practicing truthfulness, second, practicing helpfulness in our speech, third, practicing kindness, and fourth, practicing clear intention, sort of undistracted speech, or speech which is, uh, we sort of have a sense of what we're doing. And I wanted to reframe those and talk very briefly about those as the, really the foundation of the Buddhist teaching. The, the notion of truthfulness, I think, is, is pretty obvious to us, that there's something that's very important about... Uh, not lying, that we can see how when we lie or when we come close to the quality of lying in the forms we might call lesser lying, the exaggerations, (laughs) the creation of self-images for the purposes of propaganda. that we project outwardly to the world. Uh, the, the, the omissions of certain important facts. <laughs> you know, we could, we could assemble a list of ways that we may not lie, but we tell uh, half-truths, or we don't tell certain truths. And this emphasis on truthfulness is a really, it's a really beautiful... Um, guideline to our speech, just to look at ourselves in a day and ask ourselves, how much is there truthfulness? Again, so much of, I think, practicing with right speech is about exploration. It's about seeing just how we speak to ourselves, to others, seeing where there are omissions, seeing where there are exaggerations, seeing where we don't quite tell the truth. And It's been emphasized, I think, in in terms of truthfulness, that being truthful is a radical simplification of our lives. We know that when we... (laughs) It actually, actually, if we're truthful, it might eliminate quite a large percentage of our speech. (laughs) Uh, not, Not just the places where we exaggerate, but the places where we have to remember what we said earlier that wasn't quite truthful and create new stories to cover up for those stories. I mean, I, I think many of you were reflecting on, uh, you know, it was the anniversary of Watergate. 
right? And the 30-year anniversary of Watergate, and here is a situation where there was, where there was basically lying, and then a year and a half of cover-ups that were just speech, which was designed to cover up the truth. And it got very confusing because, of course, when you cover up, you don't quite remember whether you covered up in the right way. And so there's this, uh, this process that when we're not telling the truth, that we radically complicate our minds in a way which uh, creates a certain amount of agitation. So it's actually seen that truthfulness is an aid to the calming and concentration of the mind. There's a, there's a kind of peace which comes with us when we're truthful, when we're not uh, maneuvering internally or externally with our language. But it's also especially just really an exploration at first of how we are with our, with our, with our speech. And we also know that Truthfulness by itself is not enough as a guideline for our speech. That we need also to have especially helpfulness. Sometimes when the Buddha summarized right speech using just two qualities, he talked about truthfulness and helpfulness. That we can be quite truthful and even mean-spirited and not helpful. And I think, again, it's an exploration to sometimes we use truth as a weapon to, to injure someone. And so there is this important link between truthfulness and, uh, and helpfulness. The quality of exploring how our speech may be more self-centered or rooted in aversion, and then opening up to have our speech more coming out of the qualities of wishing well for others, which is really related to the third quality of kindness. That when we start exploring our speech, we can ask questions of, of uh, whether our speech not only is helpful and not only is truthful, but to what extent is it coming out of kindness? To what extent is it coming out of uh, qualities like kindness, like, uh, like um, love or warmth or loving kindness or compassion? And I think I mentioned uh, last time how when I looked at the four qualities of, of speech, I found that the one that I felt I needed most to work on was, was, was this kindness. I found myself generally truthful, generally pretty helpful, but not always so kind. And I really needed to look at that. When I, when I, and I think each of us could explore these qualities and say, you might even ask right now, these qualities of truthfulness, helpfulness, uh, kindness, and clear intention, where am I pretty developed and where do I need some work? If I had to focus on one of those, what would it be? May, maybe all four. <laughs> I think the I think the spirit that I want to encourage is very much like what I responded to to your question. Your, your name is 
Rosemary's question, I think the, the essence of working with speech is inquiry. It's really, it's not trying to make it perfect, but it's really taking the spirit of, okay, here's this vast sphere of action, and how is, how am I in my speech? Am I mindful? Am I truthful? Am I helpful? Am I kind? And really to explore, take our practice as this invitation to explore. Because I think we have to really give ourselves the exploration before we change. It's not just a matter of making an adjustment here and there. I think this is a, just like the spirit of mindfulness practice, this is a constant exploration, a constant working with our, with our speech. And, and that last quality of, uh, which the Buddha talked about as gossip, and I think that's the way the word was translated. I, I like to talk about clear intention, because I really think there's a place for, uh, there's a gossip which comes out of a motivation that's malicious and, and backbiting, and there's a kind of gossip which I, which I like to think about as local news. <laughs> and I don't think that's a problem. Okay, there's a, there's a place for local news. <laughs> Lo- but I think, but I think the prob- it's really seeing what one's motivation is and seeing where one starts to bend into maliciousness or backbiting or uh, any number of negative qualities which we could mention, <laughs> you know, such as envy, jealousy, down-cutting, self-enhancement, and so on. I think we, we know these pretty well. So, I talked, I talked last time also about some ways of working with, uh, with this exploration, that cultivating mindfulness, uh, cultivating a quality of what I found very helpful in right speech, and you really might try it right now, is to keep some attention as you listen internally. That I, I find that, and this is really something that was passed on to me by, by John, my, my main mentor, John Travis. He likes to talk about 50-50 attention. 50% internal and 50% external. And I think that when we're in conversation, we can aspire towards this mindfulness inside as well as listening outside. And you might just experiment now. Can you listen as I speak, and later we'll speak together. As we speak, as I speak now, can you listen some externally, but also keep grounded in your own uh, internal awareness? It might be awareness of your body. It could be awareness of your... um, emotional response, it might be tracking if you thought, oh, well, after this I'm going to do that, right? After this session I'm going to do that, and uh, what should I do tomorrow, and lunch, I think I'm, you know, want to... Yeah, that's a good thing for lunch, (laughs) right? And so you can just track that as it comes through your mind, or as it comes through my mind. And uh, and explore this sort of 50-50 process. And you might really explore that in your interactions today. Can you give, can we give internal attention at the same time? So, this, uh, the second area 
once we have somewhat of a foundation in mindfulness and some sense that we're maybe following the the guidelines of truthfulness and uh, helpfulness, kindness, and clear intention, I think we're ready for the second phase of wise speech, which, we, which again is, is uh, related to exploration, which is this coming to be able to work with difficult situations of our speech and learning how to take those as very interesting challenges. How do we take challenging situations when people are coming at us with unwise speech, when people are coming at us with aggression or meanness? How do we respond? You know, when people are coming at us with uh, sort of malicious gossip, how do we respond? When people say things which press our buttons, which make us reactive, which make us really upset, angry, irritated, wanting to leave the whole situation, wanting to punch, whatever. How do we, how do we respond with our speech? And I think that this is, a, in general, a really important area of practice. And it's a place where we can really take this other approach of seeing if there's some places that are really challenging for us that we can take as places of exploration. And I wanted to tell two stories related to that. One is from a friend of mine who is a Vietnamese monk named uh, Thich Minh Duc, who is, um, uh, lives in Redwood City and is a, a Dharma heir of Thich Nhat Hanh. And he tells the story of Thich Nhat Hanh visiting him and saying, and Minduk is both uh, a main monk in this monastery in, in San Jose. And he also, for many years, has been working 30 hours with troubled teenagers, with people who mostly have come in, in, in contact with the law. And Thich Nhat Hanh came and visited him, and he said, you know, it's really easy to be in the monastery and feel peaceful, and actually not be tested. He said, you're out in the world, you're with some really difficult conditions, you're getting tested. And this is the place where you're going to grow. And some of the people who just stay in the monastery, or we might say, we might generalize, and stay in protected situations, may not grow very much. And there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a wonderful story uh, that the Buddha told, which is very much uh, in the spirit, which is uh, from the Majjhima Nikaya, that's this big thick book that you probably see people reading from from time to time. <laughs> uh, and the, the, there's a, one of the suttas, it's called The Simile of the Saw. And it's this, uh, it's this uh, story about, it's really about the value of being tested for our spiritual practice. And I want I wanted to just... Uh, tell you the story some. This is, a, this is a story that the Buddha tells about a housewife named Vedahika. And there were, Vedahika had a lot of um, good things said about her. The Buddha said, the word about town was that Mistress Vedahika is kind, gentle, peaceful. Now, 
the Buddha went on. Mistress Vedahika had a maid named Kali. I don't know if that's symbolic. <laughs> but Mistress Vedahika had a maid named Kali who was clever, nimble, and neat in her work. The maid, Kali, thought, there have been many good reports about my lady. They say she is kind, gentle, and peaceful. How is it now, while she does not show anger, it is nevertheless actually present in her? Or she's really asking, is it present in her, or is it absent? Or else is it just because my work is so neat that my lady shows no anger, even though it is actually present? Suppose I test my lady. So the maid Kali got up late. The mistress Vedahika said, Hey Kali, what is it, madam? What's the matter that you get up so late? Nothing's the matter, madam. Nothing is the matter, you wicked girl, yet you get up so late. And she was angry and displeased and she scowled. <laughs> then the maid Kali thought, The fact it is that while my lady does not show anger, it is actually present in her not absent, and it's just because my work is neat that my lady shows no anger, though it is actually present in her, not absent. Suppose I test my lady a little more. <laughs> and so she got up still later in the day. And Mistress Vedahika said, Hey, Kali, what is it, madam? What's the matter that you got up later in the day? Nothing's the matter, madam. <laughs> Nothing is the matter, you wicked girl, yet you get up later in the day, and she was angry and displeased, and she spoke words of displeasure. Then the maid Kali thought, the fact is that while my lady does not show anger, it is actually present in her, not absent. Suppose I test her a little more. And it kind of goes on like this, and eventually um, she got up still later in the day. Uh, Vedahika got really angry and displeased, she took a rolling pin, gave her a blow on the head, and cut her head. The maid Kali, with blood running through her cut head, denounced her mistress to the neighbors. See, ladies, the kind ladies work. How can she become angry and displeased with her only maid for getting up late? And so it goes on like that. And the Buddha went on to generalize about that. He said, some bhikkhu, some, uh, some, so too bhikkhus, some bhikkhu, her monk or nun, is extremely kind, gentle, peaceful, so long as disagreeable courses of speech do not touch him. But it is when disagreeable courses of speech touch him that it can be understood whether that bhikkhu is really kind, gentle, and peaceful. And so he, he goes on to say that this testing is really important. Again, it's not something that we actually talk about so much, but it's something for me that really can give some inspiration for how we can make of our daily lives uh, more of an exploration. How can we take places of challenging speech, places where we get triggered, places where we're not skillful in our speech, and work with those? And so it's really uh, a question of how do we work skillfully with situations where we're reactive? And how do, we, how do we work skillfully in our speech in those situations? I think the, and I'll give just a few answers to that, and then I want to do this, this practice together. The first guideline, really, is simply to be mindful. And it's probably the, hard, probably the hardest. 
You know, in, I think this, this practice is so much about remembering to be aware. Once we remember, we're pretty good. But it's the situations where we feel ambushed or suddenly find ourselves in some mental or emotional state or another. We don't know how we got there, and it's very hard to get out because we're caught in some old pattern. So the first guideline is really mindfulness, to simply be aware of what's happening in these, in these reactive uh, situations. I think it's very important for us to have also clear intention to take a situation as a situation that we can explore uh, and that we can try to be uh, more mindful and more wise in our use of speech. And I think this is something that we have to, we can sometimes do quite consciously. Uh, For two years, uh, I was chair of our faculty. We had a president who was not a good listener. And I had to interact with him all the time. And at first, when I would do that, I would find myself being quite reactive. And he would, I would say something and he would yell at me. And I would, I would basically feel hurt and sort of withdraw and say, this guy's out of it. You know, I would be judgmental, basically. And I would think, you know, this, this guy can't listen. What am I doing here? I should quit the job or something, you know? And I gradually um, came to reframe that. So I wanted to actually study my own internal process of becoming reactive and bring mindfulness to that situation. And I thought this was something that was workable. So I think the the invitation would be, find a situation that feels workable, not where you're overwhelmed or or deeply, you know, deeply fearful or panicking, but find a situation that's kind of on your edge and say, okay, I'm going to work with this situation and bring mindfulness to it. And I found in that situation I could start to see my own internal process of becoming reactive and really studying what that was about study that process of starting to withdraw and be judgmental and could feel that. And so I studied it a lot and eventually I was able to be able to see that situation and know, okay, now here's what's happening. I've looked at this a few times. Now when this speech comes on, I am starting to uh, be judgmental and withdraw and I have an alternative. I can just be present and know that I'm a little bit triggered but sort of stay in the situation and essentially find ways to be present and not be kind of knocked out of things by the comments. And I think a lot of our practice is about studying ourselves well enough so that we sort of start to see these internal mechanisms that lead us to reactive patterns. Sometimes we may need to work with friends or psychotherapists, or really give some attention to these patterns. But I think each of us have these reactive patterns which we can start to study. And then in these difficult situations, we can explore some other alternatives, like being mindful. One of my students in one of my groups, um, I think I mentioned this last time, but I'm, I'm not positive. She has, a, she has a daughter that 
and they could just get into it all the time. The mother and daughter kind of getting at it. And so um, my friend Anya, she wrote down on her hand, truthful, helpful, kind, and clear intention. And she put it on her hand in the midst of one of these afternoons, and she just determined, I'm going to watch where I lose it and just try to stay mindful. And she said it totally changed the situation. She was able just to see more clearly where she would lose it, explore that, and be present, and try some alternative ways of speaking. Sometimes I think when we're very reactive, we simply have, we may have to leave the situation and regroup. And there, I think there are a hundred different techniques for being, for using right speech in difficult situations. One might be to leave the situation, take a bathroom break, regroup, and come back and be mindful. Another might be to use skillful speech. A lot of times when we're in difficult situations of speech, it's because um, someone is giving a lot of negativity to us. And so we have to somehow find ways to work with that negativity that holds our ground without being knocked around. So I think that there are a lot of different um, techniques that we can really bring bring to this, bring to that practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first Wednesday at office. Yeah. Um, I had to go to Los Angeles. My father was very ill, and he subsequently died. Um, and my sister was very angry with me because I had gone to Arizona rather than going immediately to Los Angeles. I kept hearing, well, he's just saying, no, it seems okay, so I went. And when I returned, she was very, very angry. So um, I came back to LA because it was clear to me that he was Yeah. I mean, it's I, clearly a very tense situation. Yeah. I think, uh, let, me, let me say one thing, and then I, then I want to do that practice that I was talking about. So um, and we can come back maybe. I think, I think it's really important to think of this as exploration and practice. We may not get it right just this one time. It's really about learning to work in the moment with um, anger, with the body tensing, with feeling really hurt. These are, these are very difficult states for most of us to work with. And I think that we, we, 
we really learn that by exploring over and over again and having some alternative ways of being with, for example, anger, with, for example, the body starting to, to feel uh, flooded by, you know, by um, sort of warning signs in the body. Uh, and it, it seems like we, we need to practice. One of the techniques, which I'm not going to use uh, today, it, we, uh, in some of my groups we use role-playing where we describe difficult situations to each other and then we try to uh, work with them in the context of a role-play, uh, one-on-one role-play. Um, maybe, maybe we can't, you want to do that right now? People want, let, me, let, me, let me give you this practice. I, I was going to give you a little simpler practice. This is, a, this is an advanced practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.